you're listening to the Games and Tree Dobbies podcast. I'm James Batchelor and I'm joined this week by... Brendan Sinclair. Danielle Partis. Jeffrey Russo. We are back after a few weeks off. Um, it's just been absolutely manic news-wise, and obviously we've been working very hard on the Game Changers project for this year. If you haven't already, go to the site and check out Game Changers. It's our yearly thing where we profile individuals and groups who are trying to make the industry a better place, whether that is through diversity, accessibility, inclusivity, funding different indies, all these kind of different, very, very kind of wide remit of the same profile. And it's, it's always fascinating because we obviously try and highlight people who may not have got as much attention or may not have got as much of a limelight for the work they're doing so it's always always fascinating seeing who we are who we find for this one so please do go check that out um this is one of the last two podcasts of the year we're um, not going to do the kind of usual weekly news show because frankly news is kind of well, i say news is drying i was going to say news is drying up but it's not it's still going but we we kind of want to do a couple of um wrap-up episodes so today we're going to be kind of discussing quite generally like trends of the year so kind of the biggest trends and stories things that we've seen across kind of the year across like multiple stories rather than zeroing on specific topics uh, and then next week will be our game of the year episode where we get to talk about the games we've actually enjoyed um we've got some really interesting topics to tackle so i want to dive straight into it jeffrey you want to um, talk about the triple a brain drain i'm going to hand to you then like why what what is it you want to discuss today what what I've noticed is that it's not that the industry is creatively bankrupt, but what I'm starting to notice is that people are getting tired of things, and yet we seem to slap on a, a fresh coat of paint, as it were. Um, I think about this especially when we were discussing Far Far Cry, from like you know a um, how people were engaging with it, for example. It's like, oh, we're tired of open world games, and let's be honest, that that's probably a fair assessment. <laughs> but uh, you know, the larger question was that, you know, how well is it really handling the subject matter and what have you? But I, I, I think the question now is that, are are we all just really tired of the things that we've we've seen, but we're we're just getting new coats of paint to it? You know, I think about this. I think about when we um when we sat down and spoke about Grand Theft Auto and its legacy, I'm thinking, wow, games haven't really changed that formula all that much. Um, so I, I, I just think about going forward, what what are we going to find more um, noteworthy in the industry? Is it really just keeping these same ideas in the proverbial wheelhouse and just keep cranking it out with fresh new coats of paint? I don't know. But that I, I think creatively somewhere getting kind of stuck. I think uh, I, I kind of want to push back on that a bit just because uh, when we look at like the AAA industry and, you know, the, the sort of maybe it's the traditional games that that I've always been drawn to and maybe you you as well. I don't think that there's, you know been a a whole ton of of really upending the table there's been a lot of quality of life improvements in in the last uh dozen years or so and and iteration which is something that that triple a has always done well um i I don't want to like sell short the fact that like we've also seen in the past decade you know mobas and and battle royales really kind of kick up and like and something like Fortnite is almost you know like unfathomable from where we were in 2010 like i i I think the experience of a lot of these games is actually significantly different in there and there has been uh development and on the mobile front too but i i think when we look at like what kind of games do you see in in walmart what kind of games aren't the you know, constantly online uh, multiplayer titles, you know, the the things that were sort of like the, yeah, there's this single player campaign and then there's a multiplayer option if you want. Like those kind of titles, I, 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 I think if we're talking about it, like I think that there has been sort of a maybe, you know, a, a stagnation uh a bit there and but even within that you know you've 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 got like the dark souls games have have offered something 
something new and, and they, they kind of branched off their own, uh, you know, here's, here's a new template that a lot of other developers are doing their own riff on. Um, as, as much as I spend a lot of my time saying things aren't as good as they used to be, uh, and everything now is terrible. Uh, I, I do want to, to, you know, be conscious of just how, you know, like of, of, of recognizing the things that, that are still changing and different and growing and adapting, even if it's something that's like not to my particular liking. Um, just on from that, I, uh, something that I am aware of, and I think Jeffrey was thinking about as well, is that there has been a uh, kind of a trend of people stepping away from bigger studios and starting their own studios where they can kind of carry forward some of those more unique ideas that they can't explore at their respective uh, AAA places. Um, but I'm constantly suspicious of that because of the types of teams that we see forming off the back of that because they haven't been as diverse as they could be recently to a point where it's 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 very funny to to see that a new studio has formed and you see the same types of faces and the same types of people in every single company shot because it is just people from the industry that know each other that are forming these new studios and no new diverse talent is getting in and it makes me entirely suspicious of studios that want to go out and do something different but there's no different perspective from what we've always experienced, if that makes sense. So I'm going to step in briefly. I'm going to channel Christopher Dring for a moment um, and step in with his usual defense of it. Not defense, but like his usual um, rationale for this. Because um, I can almost hear him shouting at whatever podcast device he's listening on. Um, I, I agree. I absolutely agree that, yeah, it, it is always disappointing to see like new AAA studio and here's a bunch of white men like that is always disappointing. But the, the, the practicalities of it, and this is what Chris usually points out, is if you're taking the leap from an established AAA studio and starting something new and you want kind of reliable talent around, you're going to rely on your friends. And unfortunately, the status quo of the industry being largely white male dominated means most of your friends are likely to be more white men. The idea of these um, studio announcements is usually to announce, right, hey, here's a bunch of AAA developers coming out. And they announce the studio kind of said, Leo, this is what we're doing. But immediately after, they then start recruiting. Half the time, they are already recruiting and they try and sneak that into the interviews um, and all the press and, and PR that they're doing around the announcement of the studio. So the idea is that they they launch and they show the talent they've already got and then, in theory, try to diversify that talent. And it, it, essentially, it's kind of, hey, look, we worked on all these amazing blockbuster games. Come join us so we can make more blockbuster games. And in that come join us, the subtext is all non-white men, please feel free to come join us. Like yeah. and I, that, that, that's, that's the usual. I, I agree, though. It is, you kind of hope that because these studios usually operate in stealth for so long. Um, I mean, blimey, the, the one that the, the former Telltale group that got announced um uh, the Game Awards uh, last night, Dramatic Labs, 20 former Telltale developers on that team, five of which were named and they sent pictures of, and oh, look, it's five white blokes. And you kind, and, and according to the LinkedIn profile for Kevin Bruner, who was previously the CEO and co-founder of Telltale and is CEO and founder of Dramatic Labs, he has been connected to Dramatic Labs. Dramatic Labs has existed in some form since January 2020. You would hope that in two years they've found at least... I know, and they probably have. But like I say, it's a group of at least... It's 20 former Telltale people and then perhaps some other non-former Telltale people. But the only people presented the face of the studio were five white blokes. I really hope there's a diverse range back there because you've had two years. Mm. That's it as well. It's on the face of it. And like you said, you know, they establish these teams with the talent that they are familiar with, that they they can rely on and then say, you know, we're trying to build a more diverse team from here. But like, who would want to join that team? I know like, if I looked at a team of, of just pure white guys, like I wouldn't want to work on that team. And I, I'm not sure that, that anybody 
well not I, I don't speak for everyone here but it it would be difficult for me to to feel comfortable in a team like that and I, it becomes even more difficult to diversify if there's nothing drawing diverse candidates to your team in the first place so with with this topic um what what I always do is every time I write any of these stories about these startups um I always after you know writing out the the story and looking at the press release I always go to the website because what I always want to see is is is, is three things specifically is the company culture or statement um did the team itself and whether or not they have a roadmap of what they intend to do. So since I've been <laughs> here working with you all, very rarely have I seen it, it It said that, oh, we'd like to have a culture that's diverse, equitable, and inclusive. I've, I've seen that in statements. I'm sure you all have as well. But let's be honest, we haven't really seen that for a lot of people. And to go back to Daniel's point, I don't think that people realize what kind of messaging you're really sending because I'm in these spaces with, you know, m- marginalized um folks who who would like to work in an industry and that is like a giant blaring horn. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it is not sending the message whatever statement they may put out. It, it, it's not sending one to say, and, and the only reason why I think it's important to mention is because we saw this just repeatedly happen this year, and and you know to the credit of our site, we with, with the academy and all the work that we have and all the conversations that we have with folks, we help where we have resources to help people not do these things, right? And it's not just us, it's obviously other publications as well. But the thing I always ask myself is that, especially with what happened in 2020, where we realized that, hey, we we have some, we have a lot of problems with diversity, equity, inclusion. And me being from, you know, a background where I don't see a lot of folks that look like me Do you take a step back and realize our studio of however many people are all white? The only thing different about us are our beards. And, and to wrap this up, obviously, I don't want to uh, keep talking about this, but the 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 point is, as I'm saying, is that the industry is becoming diverse not only because it's the quote unquote right thing to do; it's also a business and liability issue. Let's be honest, like period. That it looks bad every single time. Not every single time, but when when it's gotten enough traction, we've covered it. We've allowed folks to, you know, let us know what what they plan to do because it doesn't look good. <laughs> Come on, and um, my my thing is just that ultimately is like, when do you when do you stop seeing? Oh, it's hard, or we're doing this thing, and I understand that. And to Chris's point, he does have an interview with um Jade Raymond where. They do talk about that. And I do understand it's hard because all those mitigating factors that James mentioned. But really, with everything changing and, and things being more diverse, when, when do we regularly see that we'll have a studio where the studio head is someone like Danielle and the, sec- and the second top person is someone that looks like myself, right? I, I, I honestly try to think of like when I've seen that throughout the year and, and – Maybe it just missed me, or I'm pretty sure you may have covered something like that. But you know, really, it's it sucks, <laughs> you know. And it's just getting more and more like you're dropping a ball. Trouble is that mainly happens in the indie space, isn't it? It would be great to see it much more at, at the kind of the higher end of of game production. I, w- I will say as well, like it's perhaps been more pronounced this year. Because, as you said, like we've seen it a lot this year, but then we've seen it feels like we've seen a lot of new studios and big AAA studios, or at least studios with AAA ambitions, starting this just one year. Like I don't remember the last year where we saw so many because I'm not going to be able to name them all off the top of my head. I'm, I'm, I'm actually I think I might have to count them up for a year in numbers this year. But obviously you had like 
Jade Raymond story uh, studio, and then there was the is it Fire Sprite that the pro- former Bungie guys, and then there's like Ten Cent started one uh, fierce ka- no uh, team kaiju. Uh, you had the Raccoon Logic. You had like they've been they've been. I can, I can't name them off the top of my head quite clearly, but there've been at least like six, seven, eight, nine, maybe like there's been a lot of big studios, particularly over in North America, starting with AAA talent at the lead. So the more that happens, the more obvious it's going to be that, hey, look, all these studios are starting with you know, primarily white, white, white male teams. Like, it, it, it's no, it makes it no less important a, a topic. It absolutely is. But I think it's, it's felt more pronounced this year because we've seen so many studios opening. And I kind of take the fact that so many studios are opening, so many people are stepping away from the AAA publishers and forming their own their own companies. I take that at least as sort of as a positive, as, as some sort of silver lining is. Well, we're getting this whole new generation of independent AAA studios that are going to be producing new and hopefully innovative games. Yes, it would be ideal if they had a bit more of a diverse team behind them, but at least we're seeing a lot more new studios, a lot more new teams attempting to put things together. So I think part of it might be coming from a AAA space, uh, especially veteran developers who had worked on largely homogenous teams before. Those teams clearly worked for them, you know? And and the thing is, a homogenous work culture... Uh, it can work really, really well for most of the people there. But anyone, you know, any any hint of diversity in that culture um, is is not likely to have a great time when they are faced with an entire, you know, the rest of the studio whose attitudes about every issue are, are sort of, you know, monolithic and, and the perspective of that you know, a uh, person that doesn't fit that culture isn't really taken into account, which I think is why for a lot of people who have worked at these workplaces that have had, you know, clearly dire issues, the the report of the issues comes as a surprise or, or they read it and they say, oh, OK, yeah, but no, it, it wasn't like that. I mean, it was, you know, they say it's all it's frat house atmosphere, but, you know, we, we were joking. We were friendly, whatever. But they they don't necessarily consider what it's like to not be part of that culture that, you know, is in on the joke and, and, and part of that. So you're never going to have I, like I don't think anyone in the industry uh, wants to have a studio that is like exclusively white dudes and will only hire white dudes ever. Uh, so then which is, you know, obviously unacceptable in and of itself, but it might at least work on a cultural level and make everyone at the the studio, you know, happy enough possibly. But you're not going to you're not going to squash out diversity like that. You're not allowed to. You're always going to have some. And th- those those women, those those people of color, uh the, you know, the disabled person on the team, uh like they are not going to to enjoy working in that culture there's a there's a much larger chance i think of them not enjoying it of, of having a horrible experience uh the more homogenous culture is and a much larger chance that the that homogenous culture when they are faced with this person having a terrible experience won't think it's the culture's problem they'll think it's this one person who is raising a stink about something that's no big deal and uh, i i think the the answer to that culturally is is to you know just make the studio the workplace as diverse as possible so that there isn't one dominant culture so that everyone understands that they have to you know uh concern themselves with what everyone else thinks about you know the the workplace tone and and jokes and and everything like that and you've just got a much better chance that when someone says something you know ignorant or offensive or or harmful that there are more people that are going to be able to spot that and have the confidence to speak up knowing that there are other people that will back them up because you have just you know a much broader array of experiences and people at the studio mm. i think the the turning point on on diversity is is still so young that um 
all all of the well, a vast majority of the veterans are still just going to be white dudes but there's a positive trajectory in that you know in 15 20 years it won't be like that because there's people in the space now that will move into those positions so it's it's not entirely negative it sure don't feel good to see it <laughs> i'll be honest <laughs> i'm sorry it 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 it, it it's so the, the one last thing i need to say is that i i think the word that i try to uh is it, it's very surreal to me because it, it it's that you see this like uh, obviously I, I i worked in in like corporate america in business for like 10 years i i understand how these things work trust me i may not talk about it too much but I, i'm very you know aware of these things but it's like you know i'm reporting news and i'm seeing these things and it, it, it it's very surreal because what the industry is moving this way and it, it, it it's trying <laughs> for dear life <laughs> to not appear a certain way and, and you know you just have these little reminders like oh okay it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't feel good um in lieu of everything especially this year and on top of everything else but yeah As I said, we we weren't gonna dive deep into it because we, a we've discussed it a lot b the situations are still still evolving. Like part of the reasons we haven't done a podcast on, say, the Activision Blizzard Kotick stuff in the last few recent weeks, is because by the time there was the faint hope that by the you know, if we record an episode, by the time it came out, maybe Kotick would have resigned or been fired. But we we shouldn't skirt around the issue. Like we will acknowledge that. Yeah, this this whole conversation about you know terrible experiences in largely male-dominated um, workspaces and, and homogenous workspaces, as, as Brendan put it, has obviously been brought to the fore by the Activision Blizzard and Ubisoft um, protests and scandals and allegations and uh, everything that we've covered. And I, I'd, I'd like to think that by this point, anyone listening to this podcast knows what's going on. If not, please do start reading GamesIndustry.biz and go and have a look and kind of read through the previous stories. I, I mean, there's just not enough time to kind of recap everything that's done, that's happened this week. And I, I think it's going to be interesting to see this time next year perhaps like if all of this has had the impact that we hope it that we hope it does um but yeah like the 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 fight to the fight to improve diversity and workplace conditions like you know removing the toxicity is now going on at a triple a level and you know the just the the sheer determination of groups like a better ubisoft and a better abk like i don't think it's going to go anyway away anytime soon this is this is a fight that is only just starting i say i say only just starting we're six months in but like this is going to be a long a long thing so this is perhaps not the time to discuss that but like with that has been a big thing this year has been the kind of the backlash against AAA and like kind of the the much lower acceptance of how AAA has been operating for so long yeah i'm not sure this is a this year kind of thing especially i mean ubisoft was last year and then 2018 was riot games and yeah uh, after after riot like 2018 like my year-end recap editorial was like the year of the bad employer um because there were there were a lot of stories uh starting with quantic dream in january i think um Interestingly, all these companies that we're mentioning are on the advisory board of the Game Awards, <laughs> <laughs> which, which, if you were watching, had a pretty milquetoast statement about harassment being bad um, that did not name names, surprisingly. Um, but yeah, this is this is ongoing. Um, and if you look at all these companies, like it's still the same people in charge of all of them. Uh, and it's it's really disheartening uh mm -hmm. to to see to see this happen but i will say that the um the progress made on like just not not even just unionization but like labor rights and employees uh speaking up and going public with with their their problems with the employers like i i, I think that is a trend that has extended and grown over the years um and I, I think only good things are are going to come from that. Whether it's in publishers just treating people better in order to, you know, cut off any kind of union activity at the knees, or actual unions forming and you know negotiating in the interest of of the employees. Um, 
so I, I think there's reason for for hope there, um, but I, I I don't think this is unique to this year, and and I don't I don't think that this is you know completely going away in the near term. On that note, I'm uh, I'm not going to say intrigued. I'm uh, I'm almost dreading to see what will come up in 2022. Another big story, certainly in terms of business, and this is one we've talked about a lot on the podcast um, as and when developments have happened, uh, Apple versus Epic, which you know dominated a lot of our time earlier in the year when the actual trial was going on in the US. Um, and, the, and I say the trial, I mean the first trial, because now obviously it's going to the appeals court, and then there's still the lawsuit in EU, UK, Australia, and then there's the ones against Google in various mixes of those territories. So this is, again, a story that that certainly hasn't finished. But, um, Danielle, you kind of keen to revisit this. Like, what have you been your thoughts on this this year? Um, I think this has been an interesting one to follow, and you kind of summarised it there. But what was interesting for me is this was an, an interesting conversation on how uh, storefronts um, kind of implement the cuts that they take and whether the, uh, the discussion on whether the 30% cut was okay, whether it was too much. And then it sort of led to all of the other storefronts um, kind of reassessing that and laws coming into place as well that forced uh, the, the hands of storefronts to, to stop taking such a such a big cut or being so restrictive in how they let consumers buy things so they can have their cut. Um, one thing that, that popped to mind was Google lowering the the Play Store subscription cut to 15%, um, which was quite a, a sizable cut for them. And I I think it was a first in that they had to allow third-party payment systems in South Korea because the government told them to. And that seemed to be kind of a turning point for um, regulation on how these storefronts operate and how people spend their money on them. But I don't know. What do you guys think? I think this is uh, messy. I, I think um, <laughs> I think Apple has engaged in blatantly anti-competitive behavior, but I also think that um, the the courts have generally been very tolerant of anti-competitive behavior in in recent years. So uh, again, I think like like the last thing, I think this is something that will be getting better gradually. Um, I, I, I think Google and Apple are going to be uh, forced to make some concessions to avoid uh, legislation just, you know, stepping in and, and squashing it uh, in such a way that, you know, is is even more harmful to Apple. But I, I mean, I don't I don't I don't have a whole lot of faith in in, you know, our institutions to to take the the app store and you know dismantle it or or you know reduce its outsized influence in the mobile gaming market or anything like that so uh i i suspect this just winds up maybe with like the a flat 15 percent fee across the board and everyone kind of has to settle for that as as a like you know as a compromise move which which would be significantly damaging to to apple and google um but i i don't i don't think the 30 percent fee can be you know defended and held up uh much longer uh and i i think these like hey small developers can you know 15 percent for the first million or whatever is um kind of a meaningless concession when so much of the revenue is being taken up by, you know, a relative handful of of successful apps that are, you know, blowing that million dollar mark out of the water. It's very much a um uh Godzilla let them fight meme reaction <laughs> from me though cuz I I cuz it, it's it's hard to really like, you know, feel bad for for epic not getting you know every last cent that they can get from you know a worldwide phenomenon that has already 
pushed the company's valuation to obscene levels. Yeah. I assume you mean things like Godzilla versus Kong, because like that, as much as Epic has always tried to put put itself as the underdog, like it's still a massive, like you know, billion dollar company. Like it's rid- ridiculous. And like the Judge Gonzalez Rogers, I'm pretty sure she said like something. This has just always been about two rich companies trying to get richer. So like you know, the, the, as much as this will affect the rest of the industry, particularly the mobile industry, like this, this has not been done with anyone else's best interests at heart. I'm intrigued because like, as you say, like, yeah, I imagine like the end of this long and wearisome road, because this is going to like, you know, legal, legal proceedings take so long anyway. Like this is going to drag on for months, if not years. Um, like the end of this road, like you say, is probably another flat rate across all the platforms, probably around 15%, which is an improvement for developers. And, uh, you know, it, it's a start, but then that brings up the thirty percent cut that Nintendo, Xbox, and Microsoft reportedly take. And you know, we, we've said from the beginning of this story that if if Epic had this incredible case and won and sets this precedent, then it can potentially change the rest of the industry in terms of the dynamics and the economics of it. And the fact that you know Epic, Epic didn't win, Epic won nothing at, at this stage because obviously the um, the one the single solitary victory it got out of its ten counts was the anti anti steering law, so like not letting Apple not letting developers put links to other pay, payment options. Um, that's been obviously postponed. That was due to come in this week, and that's been postponed because Apple appealed against it, and the courts have said, "Yep, okay, let's." Let's hold off and not make any changes until all of this has been finished. So nothing has happened at this point. Apple is doing exactly what it's always been doing. Epic has not won a single thing at this point. But if Epic were to win, which it didn't, um, like, I don't know, the, the, the fact that it hasn't been able to suggests that maybe the impact isn't as big as we first thought. I, I go back and forth on this thinking this could change everything, but also this could change absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's always interesting. Well... I don't want to say always, but in, in this particular case, as, as you both mentioned, or all three of you mentioned, it, you you have these large platform holders who who are who are essentially arguing whom is going to get a bigger cut, and the other part of this, it was very hard for me to care. I understand like how it would affect everyone else, but like honestly as far as like quote unquote caring goes, it's like oh, oh, oh okay. So you you're really just quote unquote fighting tooth and nail, so your revenue reports to us that we'll get that we'll report on will be a little more on your side. That that's essentially what's driving this, you know. Um and yeah, it, it, it's just that it, it's one of those things again that it, it's and this is the fascinating part. It's how when we see these things play out, how it affects the smaller development studio, the developers who only have, you know, who are only able to afford to create games on Apple Arcade or the Google Play Store, how how it affects them in their trajectory, you know. So at that point it was kind of interesting, but otherwise it was still really hard to care. One thing I did enjoy revisiting is um, go, going back through those three weeks, which were long, and just looking at the other companies that the pair of them were sort of throwing under the bus as part of their own squabble. Um, one thing was the, the the report that came out that Epic offered Sony $200 million, um to, to get multiple PlayStation exclusives out. Um, the thing about Xbox consoles not being profitable was another thing, and then there was that that scramble from from Nintendo, and I think Spotify was in there as well to not have their things leaked as part of this court case, and it was just a huge industry wide um, implosion of, of random things just coming out, which was um, I don't know if fun's the word, but no, no, it was fun. <laughs> it was it was absolutely fun this this industry is has such a secrecy fetish mm-hmm. and and hates above all else for anyone to actually know what they're doing um it was a it, it was sort of a a well needed uh you know 
bit of bit of fresh air and sunlight on on bits of the industry that that people are way too closed about for no good reason it was also fun like the uh the the usual what is a game discourse and like not just not just like bringing up the question of what is a game which is always just funny anyway when anyone tries to define it but also like the transcripts and the hearings and the bits you know the 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 snippets from the court cases where you can hear like judges and lawyers trying to get their head round what is the biggest entertainment industry and like how things work and like just and hearing both sides try to explain these things in a way that benefits them but ultimately just confuses everyone else in the room that i really enjoyed it was it's just fun to like show someone you know a game and then just watch them squirm and contort themselves into saying that it's not a game (laughs) because it, it can't be a game if their argument is going to win so they just they're they're stuck yeah. in this position where everyone knows you're you're completely full of it right now and lying through your teeth but you don't Roblox. have an option you, you can't just say like ah oh, yeah I, I was you caught me no no you're committed you're before the judge you're you got to you got to own this and and I love watching people have to own things they chose to own but really shouldn't have is the order if 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 at first you don't succeed lie louder um i just the the examples were just glorious like roblox isn't a game it's an experience fortnite isn't a game it's a metaverse utter bollocks i'd forgotten about that the whole there really was a point in this year where everyone was seriously debating what is a game that happened Yes. Does it have a map with goals? <laughs> yes, with goals. It has a beginning and an end, and something happens in the middle. It's like, that is literally any kind of narrative form of entertainment. It's a beginning and an end. Just Basically oh, everything except a specific point in time. Yeah. Good times. Looking forward to the next round. One trend that we have been unable to escape, both via other sites and our inboxes, is the rise of the blockchain and non-fungible tokens. And I think we have made our thoughts on this technology very clear throughout the year, uh, particularly with the excellent editorial that Brendan wrote earlier, I think it was around April, May, um, which people are still pitching to us saying, oh, we'd love to write a kind of a, a counter-proposal. It's like, Everything you say in the counterproposal is exactly why we wrote that piece. Um, so, but just to specify, it, the piece was saying that we're not covering blockchain startups. Absolutely, yes. Sorry, I'm, I'm there assuming that people are reading this. Yes, we we are not covering blockchain startups. We're not covering blockchain pitches. We will occasionally cover blockchain moves and NFT announcements by the larger publishers, the larger companies, because things it's our readers need to be aware of. For example, Ubisoft doing this Quartz nonsense or Kickstarter potentially going to the blockchain. This is stuff that affects our readers. But by and large, no, we don't want to hear yet another argument as to why player-owned economies are the future, depending on this, you know, that, that rely on this ridiculously uh, complex and unproven and environmentally destructive and liable to fraud technology. I'm not going to go into that though. Um, <laughs> Brendan, kind of, it's been a busy year on that side. Um, it's inevitably going to be busy on the year on that side. You know, next year. Um, your thoughts, kind of uh, wrapping up, like on this year, like what? <laughs> where do we go from here? <laughs> I well, I think 2022 is going to be sort of a key year for blockchain gaming. Um, because this is the year that we we finally saw some actual implementation of mm. of blockchain gaming. There were you know like NFTs related to gaming brands for a while, but but this uh, earlier this week Ubisoft announced its Ghost Recon Breakpoint um, NFTs, and and they're really boring. Um, Ubisoft has been an early mover in the blockchain gaming space. They've been publicly looking into this for four years, um, at least. And after four years, the best thing that they could roll out 
was apparently here's an NFT and if you have it, then your Ghost Recon character can wear pants with a serial number on them. And that serial number will be unique to those pants. Um, and and it's the thing is that this is kind of the only thing they could do. Because um, blockchain implementation uh, is is problematic for a ton of reasons. Um, and and so when we see it actually rolled out, it, it's I think it's going to be these really dull, dry, you know, cosmetic only um, approaches that that are really underwhelming. They're not decentralized and they don't have any of the kind of cross game uh, or certainly not cross company compatibility that people have been, you know, proclaiming would be one of the reasons why blockchain was oh so great. Uh, and I, I don't say cosmetic to say that that can't be successful because obviously there are tons of free to play games making ridiculous amounts of money with just cosmetics. But I, I think NFTs and blockchain are also fairly unpopular with a significant part of the player base for, for core games anyways. Um, and people aren't like people already online communities already have like an issue when a company rolls out like a hundred dollar cosmetic in-game item. So like, Hey, you can wear a golden Cape if you pay a ridiculous amount of money and they'll say like, Oh, it's not, has no gameplay effect. Um, but people will still buy those capes and other gamers will still resent them for it. And that's not really a great sentiment to have in your game. So I think it's kind of telling that, that Ubisoft tested this out in Breakpoint, which is a game that doesn't have a whole lot of great sentiment around it to start with. So there's, there's not too much risk there. Uh, but you wind up with like having having the blockchain be like here's unique items is doable obviously because ubisoft is doing it it also doesn't need the blockchain at all so the only reason to actually put it in there like this is because you've made ubisoft is making the first few waves of nfts free and the only reason to do that is so that you get the nft faithful who want you know a free thing that they can sell later for actual money to jump into your game. So it might actually spike player numbers for a little bit because you have to be like level five or whatever in the game to be able to get uh, one of the NFTs. You have to have played it for a bit. And the thing is like, if it's only about the money and it's only about the speculation on this being worth money later, then you constantly need to keep bringing people money, bringing people in who are convinced that these are worth money and will pay more for them than the last guy did. And that is a Ponzi scheme. Uh, and eventually you run out of new people to bring in. And I think especially when you've got an offering, which is has re no real inherent value, no real you know intrinsic value to people the way that gameplay advantages might. Um, because people have been paying for gold in World of Warcraft and, and you know, in-game items in Diablo and Animal Crossing and stuff like that for years and years. But when, when it's just, you know, this, hey, here's these special pants with a serial number on them, that's not going to be bringing people in to, to actually, you know, do this unless they are only interested in the profit. And... I don't think that that is, I, I, I think that is a, a surefire way to uh, ruin the community of your game, create a lot of ill will, and, and generally just drive it into the ground. And the only other approach to blockchain that we hear is really vague pie in the sky promises and magical thinking from people who haven't rolled anything else out yet. So like that's the way blockchain sits now at the end of 2021 and I, unless, unless I'm wrong here and, you know, people just really love their pants with serial numbers on them, 
Um, I don't see the breakpoint test being terribly successful. Um, I don't see Ubisoft's approach to NFTs being terribly successful in the longer run. Short, short term, they might have some stats to throw out about like, hey, look how many people joined because they wanted to get our free NFTs and sell them. Uh, but it's, I, I, I still think it's a um, flawed, unnecessary thing that is corrosive to the community. I mean, people were trying to, to stomp gold farmers out of their communities for decades, right? Because they recognized that that this activity messed with the in-game economy and having a whole bunch of people there just, you know, plugging away for money was corrosive to the to the community. And now they're inviting them in. Now they're building games around them. Um, I don't think that's going to turn out so well. And, and I think these pie-in-the-sky promises about how blockchain gaming is going to, you know, solve poverty or whatever they're saying, uh, is, I don't think those will actually come to fruition because once you actually get into the logistics of it, there are so many problems with, with how it happens. And there are so few answers that people have as to like why, uh, the one would lead to the other. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, I've yet to see something this year that's convinced me like, Oh, okay. I get it now. I understand why people are excited beyond, Hey, here's a thing that, the, the sell is always that you're going to make money on the things that you own and the things that you own aren't even things like it's it's uh again i'm channeling chris string I'm, I'm representing chris because he's not here he's finally taken a week off um it's like the novelty gifts where you get like um you how you buy a star or you buy a plot on the moon like all you have really is a certificate to prove that you own it you don't actually own anything. I technically, thanks to a novelty gift, I technically am lord of five square meters of the Lake District. I do not own those five square meters, obviously. I have nothing. That doesn't mean I can do anything with it. That's NFTs. That's blockchain. And it just, I think it's the sheer determination and the sheer will of the people who are insisting that this is real. I've actually seen the words gamesindustry.biz is dying on the wrong hill under one of our articles about blockchain this year. Like people are absolutely adamant, adamant that this is going to happen, that this is going to change everything, that this is going to be everything that everyone ever promised. And I'm struggling to see why I, and I don't, I, I don't think anything's going to be able to convince us. Like, and the thing is like, and I don't want to be on like a downer note, but like, they're probably right. This is probably going to happen. This is probably going to become blockchain and NFTs are probably going to become a widely used, widely adopted thing because enough people with enough money behind it are forcing it to become a thing. That doesn't no. mean that it should. That doesn't mean no. that it's it. No, I mean, I'd, I'd love no. to be as optimistic as you, Brendan, which is something I never thought I'd actually say. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I think people accepting nonsense as inevitable is what allows that nonsense to happen in the first place if 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 people actually understand that they're these things are not written in stone and just because you know mark zuckerberg throws an obscene amount of money at a metaverse to try and get us to all live inside facebook 24 7 if there's no if there's no actual compelling use case for it, if there's no benefit for the vast majority of people, then actually getting from, you know, here's an idea to here is an ecosystem that we are all hopelessly locked into, um, then, you know, that's that's a difficult jump to make. Like we we might all be hopelessly locked into Google right now but if you remember when google first launched and gmail first came out it was so much better than everything else out there and and i think that's that's kind of what needs to happen for for the kind of changes that people are promising with blockchain in the metaverse one, one last thing about blockchain though um is is 
the Ubisoft approach, their NFTs for Ghost Recon. Everyone's like, oh, it's it, blockchain's decentralized. That's one of the great things about it. Ubisoft's NFTs can only be acquired through the Ubisoft platform and only be resold through two authorized resellers. And if you get banned from Ghost Recon for doing whatever, um, you can sell your NFT, but you can't acquire new NFTs for it. So even even the whole like, hey, it's decentralized and we've empowered players and it's, you know, even even that is like a total line of cack. It is it is absolute nonsense because companies are, you know, 100 percent dependent on the control that they have, especially with a game as a service. And they are not going to give that up. So that you can have, you know, your your NFT thing recognized, whatever, and feel empowered. They're going to tell you that it's decentralized or whatever, but it's absolutely not. It's fiction. Well, speaking of fiction, um, last topic we wanted to discuss. Um, and as much as I was trying to avoid the M word throughout the year, um, I have to confess I've become somewhat intrigued by it. The metaverse. Now... Obviously, this is somewhat tied to the blockchain and NFT because so many people, so many metaverse visions that people have presented are reliant on blockchain and NFTs and people owing, owning owning their own goods within the metaverse and being able to sell stuff and so forth. But I kind of want to touch on briefly the, the notion of the metaverse and where where the relationship with gaming is going because metaverse is somewhat on the very fringes of our remit, I feel, because the way that... The, Folks like Zuckerberg um, pitch it. It's a social space. It's a social. It's a three D social network, etc. You know, I th- I'm hoping we've all seen the truly cheesy video where you know he, his little Xbox avatar, because it isn't absolutely an Xbox avatar, um, goes into like you know the space room where his friends are playing poker and they get video calls and they uh, can share video clips and they can share images and all things that we can already do on our phone without going into virtual reality like that isn't a game obviously that's not something that we would cover that is a social network that is an attempt at a 3d social network that's absolute nonsense like i mean it may happen but it's nonsense like the the metaverse thing is just so so ridiculous metaverse has become one of those words that people are using because investors are excited about it Investors are excited about blockchain, they're excited about NFTs, they're excited about Metaverse. Put any or all three of those words in your press release and you will get a lot more attention. Case in point, Unity did this when they acquired Weta, the um, uh, special effects workshop that did uh, the Lord of the Rings films and other things. Like, Rob Fahey wrote a great column kind of pointing out, like, the reason it bought Weta is, like, the, the, the reasons it bought Weta go beyond this, like, Metaverse nonsense. It's because... Unity are doing a lot more stuff in real time, you know, real time 3D animation. Like, do they're keeping up with Unreal and like all the stuff that they do in Enterprise? Like, they want Unity to be used in TV and film production, like Unreal is. But they mention Metaverse because that's a buzzword that gets investors excited. And it's just, I think the thing that annoys me about Metaverse at the moment is that no one can quite decide what it is. Like, it the the definitions range from the justifiably snarky people who point out, well, we've already got Second Life and PlayStation Home and Habbo Hotel, and those are, by many definitions, metaverses, in that they are social 3D spaces in which you go in and you do activities, and it's not quite a game. It's just a social space to hang out. And, yeah. Um, You go from that to, obviously, the dystopian nightmare that is things like Ready Player One Oasis. Um... And, you know, the idea that we are all going to spend the vast majority of our time in VR, in this one single solitary online world. Um, The idea, you know, that all companies around the world are all going to work together on this one single virtual world. They keep, I keep on hearing people calling it like, you know, a 3D internet or a 3D world. Like, it's just not going to happen. I actually had a a friend of mine message me, help me win. (laughs) This was a great message. Help me win a bet. Ready Player One's Oasis could happen, right? 
Now, I won't read the full, I won't tell you the full message because it was quite the essay I sent him. But the short version was, if you mean, are we going to have virtual reality MMOs? Absolutely, yes. If you mean, is the entire planet going to dedicate itself to one of these virtual reality MMOs? Not a fucking chance. Um, like the, the fact that no one can define what it is and decide what it's going to be. I think it's just it's it's just a word. It's just a word and it's word that's going to be dogging us for a good year or so and I think it's a word that's always going to be tied to the games industry in a way because games developers or certainly yeah developers with the same skills as game developers they're going to be the ones that are building these metaverses like you know the amount of press releases we get where just the word metaverse is kind of dropped into it like you know, like I've had people I can't remember a specific example but I've had people message you know send me press releases for a game that prior to yeah that has been has been running for a while is never been referred to as a metaverse prior to this year but now is referred to as a yet uh, a metaverse and like they're just everyone's desperate to cash in on this this buzzword this hype wagon and i i just hope it goes away but i know it's not going to give it a couple years i do hope so these things go in cycles right buzzwords tend to you know i mean i guess we're still we're still talking about VR and AR, but are we really talking about mixed reality? No, that's true. I, I don't. I don't know. I, 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 one one thing that I'm sort of convinced of, I guess, is that like most things in the industry tend to change over time. Um, and and what's what's big right now won't necessarily look like what's big ten years from now. Oh, I'm I'm very much looking forward to your ten years ago this month <laughs> in ten years from now. I'm very much looking forward to those columns. Seconded. Oh. <laughs> Largely because no, we're not going to let you leave in the next decade. <laughs> they, they, they'll either be like really great fun or just really sad, sad reads. <laughs> um, I'm going to go on a brief tangent, like still keeping on the metaverse thing. Like, um, sound you guys out on the idea. The the one metaverse idea that I've heard that actually I think maybe this is the way forward is Niantic. Niantic are trying to build the real world metaverse, which is to say they just want to build loads of AR stuff tied to locations or that can be used anywhere in the world. And that's the AR, that's the metaverse they envisage. And I think that's the way forward. I think that's the only metaverse thing I actually can believe is that I I can't believe that millions of people are going to log in to a virtual reality space, one virtual reality space, or some people say, you know, there's going to be multiple metaverses, but that's kind of not... like Everyone's talking about the metaverse rather than multiple ones. I can't believe everyone's going to... You know, millions of people are going to log into one metaverse space, or even a couple. But I can believe that people are going to interact with this digital layer on our world, kind of similar to how they already do with Pokemon Go and stuff. So, like, you know, they'll check in at locations and so forth because that the, that behaviour, that consumer behaviour pattern is already there. So they would just be building on it. Like, Niantic didn't say this word for word, but I went I went to the launch of their Lightship uh, dev kit, which is the AR dev kit they've, they've released currently for free. And they show all, like, the different things you can do. And it's things like if you go to the Tower of London, you can plant flowers in the moat and water them and if someone else goes they will see the flowers you have planted or there was a there was a concept video of like people hiding kind of cards and tokens in like fountains or under lampposts or down alleyways and if you if another player of the game goes you hold up your phone you look around you scan around you find the item you collected and this kind of hidden layer to the world is what they're kind of pitching it at the 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 very extreme version i can imagine of this is if you've seen free guy or even if you've seen the Free Guy trailers, the moment where Ryan Reynolds puts on his glasses and suddenly there's like a billion digital icons around him. That is, I think, where Niantic's going with in the metaverse. And that I can see, because that doesn't require the effort of dedicating time to go into this virtual reality platform. Inevitably, we're going to get to the stage with things like AR glasses, because we are lazy human beings. And if you can just put an, a device on our face that will deliver information for us without us having to look at our phone, then I imagine that's something that will eventually take off as and when it's you know, affordable and practical. Like, 
that that idea of a metaverse I can see. What game's role in that is, I don't know. I don't know if, like, you know, to go back to the cheesy Google Glass demo of someone playing Battlefield through their AR glasses on an abandoned industrial estate. I don't know if we're going to get to that stage. But, yeah, all this talk of Metaverse, that's where I see it perhaps going. I think game's role in that is basically that games have spent the last 20 years designing heads-up displays to deliver information to people and i think that sounds absolutely horrible you know (laughs) i don't i don't i don't want to like put on a pair of glasses and then see an assassin's creed map of stuff to do (laughs) spammed over my head i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry i think think there's brendan it will be the biggest it will be the biggest open world game ever (sighs) sounds even more exhausting (laughs) There's a reason that people like look at God of War or something and just say, oh my gosh, it's amazing how minimalist the user interface is and they really just kind of got rid of all that cruft and it's like you're actually there. Like, like I think that's generally something that, you know, people like being there. Um, well, it depends where there is. I guess I lived in Oklahoma for a while and I, I can't say that really i enjoyed it point being uh i i like this is how games has influenced tech i i think like we've we've been showing people we've been roughing out interfaces and ways of interacting with you know controllers and mice and and everything else and the rest of tech uh, will will look to games when they need something that looks stylish, when they need something that looks polished, when they need something that takes a complex interaction and boils it down to something simpler. Um, and they'll take inspiration from games. I don't think games are, you know, I don't think they're going to be copying what games are doing. Um, but yeah, like... It's it's actually deeply, deeply scary to me that uh, the idea that this metaverse kind of thing and AR glasses will really take off and that it will wind up looking like what games have looked like. I think that is not the right place to look, but I can see it happening. I, right around when I was thinking about um, checking out like Oculus Rift or any of, you know, VR stuff, my neighbor... Um, you know, I just saw him, you know, he, he got it and I, I just came back from whatever. Anyway, I'm just looking at him on a porch. He's just, you know, he's, he's vibing as as they say. And then I just see him put it on and he's doing things. And then like, I didn't mean to stare, but I stared at him for like 10 seconds. And then I was just like, so this is what I'm going to look like to someone else. I watched him do these things. Like, absolutely not. (laughs) 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 I understand. And. You know, a, a, a friend of mine is a big proponent of VR and I understand, you know, what it does for everyone else. But me personally, no, absolutely not. That's not going to be me. I'm sorry. I've been thinking about that um, glasses overlay thing. Um, you, you know, you pop your glasses down and then suddenly there's loads and loads of stuff to do um, in the metaverse that's already around you in a kind of AR fashion. But then I started to, to panic because people are already inherently quite dumb. And I think that would just make everybody even stupider. Yeah, quite possibly. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll, clarify, I'll clarify now. I, I, it, I, when I say I can see it happening, I'm not saying I would enjoy it. I'm not saying I want to live in Free Guy. Like, I just, it's just the, the version of the metaverse, I think, is perhaps the more the more realistic in terms of what people say is, is a metaverse. I'm hoping metaverse does stick with what Epic said. Epic's definition of a metaverse, my understanding, certainly in terms of calling Fortnite a metaverse is it's a game where you don't have to kill people. Having concerts in Fortnite does not make it a metaverse. It just makes it a non-violent virtual social space. Like I've, I'm bring those on. I'm happy with that. If there are more games where we just log in and we, chat with mates and hang out i'm fine with that but it's just the the idea of uh, you know everyone plugging themselves into virtual reality for the rest of their lives or 
yeah, walking around being surrounded by digital icons, like 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 Brenda suggested, like about some horrific Ubisoft game. Yeah, maybe not. That is all we've got time for this week. Uh, we're going to be back next week with our Games of the Year show, and then we are taking the holiday period off. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you haven't already, please do go to the site and check out Game Changes. We're posting new profiles every working day throughout the month until we've run out of them, and then we do a, a nice big wrap-up article. So um, please do check those out, and please spread the word. The kind of the point is that we want to kind of highlight these people who are doing great things and perhaps undoing so many so many of the potentially horrible things that we've been talking about today um you can find all previous episodes of this podcast on the podcasting platform of your choice and you can get more news insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz 